This week we find out more on what role farmers take to help tackle climate change with a chat with the CLA. Climate change, the environment is going to continue to rise up the political agenda. So I think it's really important that farmers, landowners start considering how they can maximise their natural assets and the natural capital. A nationwide survey by Agri-Epicentre has revealed many farmers are doubtful of Agri-Tech's ability to help them meet net zero targets. Productivity and efficiency of farming actually has a win-win benefit with emissions reduction, greenhouse gas emissions reduction. Jerome Fielder from Open Fields has the Grain Report. No agronomy report this week. Instead, Andrew Ward will share a look at the harvest yields from his farm. And after a very mild week, I'll bring you the five-day forecast for the week ahead. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme. Hi, it's Ellie Codling with you for the next couple of weeks as Steve takes a well-earned rest. Have you remembered the clocks have gone back an hour this morning? Maybe you're changing some of them right now. I still don't know how to do our microwave clock. It was lovely to see so many of you at the County Harvest Festival as well last Sunday at the Cathedral. It's always great to get together and celebrate the wonderful produce produced here in Lincolnshire. And COP26 starts today in Glasgow, so I thought we would do an environment and climate change related show this week. But first, here's the farming news. The vast majority of the UK's major retailers have committed to backing British pork in a response to an open letter from the MPA asking for their support. In general, they have sought to reassure the pig sector that they are backing the industry with continued commitments to British pork and ongoing efforts to address the labour shortage and to ease the pig backlog. The Farm Innovation Programme from DEFRA is now open and farmers can bid for funding to develop new technologies and practices such as low emission machineries, climate resilient crops and artificial intelligence. The 17.5 million fund will support on-farm projects in productivity and environmental sustainability to move the sector towards net zero. The Rural Payments Agency has published the Basic Payments Scheme, BPS rates, for 2021. They are non-SDA £233.30 per hectare, SDA at £231.60 per hectare and Moreland SDA at £64 per hectare. But with 2021 being the first year in which the phase reductions in BPS come into effect, farmers will receive less than the published rates. You can sign up for free workshop and one-to-one support on business and environmental issues in the Farm for the Future programme run by LRSN. It's coordinated by the Prince's Countryside Fund and funded by DEFRA. You can contact LRSN to find out more. And the British Farming Awards were announced this week and amongst the big winners were Manette Batters, President of the NFU, winning the Outstanding Contribution to the British Agriculture Award and Jeremy Clarkson and Caleb Cooper from Clarkson's Farm awarded Flying the Flag for British Agriculture. There was also a silver award for Lincolnshire farmer Paul Davey in the Arable Innovator of the Year category. Now COP26 starts in Glasgow today, working with nations to reach an agreement on how to tackle climate change. I'm joined by Kath Crowther, the Regional Director for East at the Countryside Landowners Association. So what's the farmers' role in all of this? Farmers are in a unique position because we're the only industry that, yes, we produce carbon, but actually we're sequestering carbon as well. So the farming practices that we do means that we can take carbon out of the atmosphere 
and put it into soils and, um, you know, when we're growing food. So got a huge role to play in terms of sequestering carbon, producing renewable energy. Obviously, energy is a huge um, emitter in terms of carbon. A huge opportunity with nature, biodiversity in the, the way that we farm the land. OK, so what advice do you have for farmers in how they can tackle this climate change? Climate change, the environment is going to continue to rise up the political agenda. So I think it's really important that farmers, landowners start considering how they can maximise their natural assets and the natural capital Farmers can be rewarded financially for the benefits they produce. The new Environmental Land Management Scheme, ELMS, um, will be based on the principle of public money for public good. And that's for those elements that the that farmers provide that the market doesn't currently reward. So clean air, clean water, soils, carbon sequestration. But as well as um, ELMS, then farmers could also get paid through other ways, through carbon markets, um, biodiversity net gain. So I think it's really important that they start considering what assets they've got so that they can then think about how they might be rewarded later to be paid for the best way of looking after their assets. From COP26, which is starting, what do you think is going to come from that that farmers can act on? So I think it's a continued focus on these things that we've been talking about for a long time. So The CLA has produced guidance notes on natural capital and carbon accounting. We've done a series of webinars. We've got quite a lot of information on our website. In terms of COP26, last week we saw quite a few different documents published. So we have the net zero strategy, which is essentially the roadmap of how the government see us reaching net zero emissions. That will impact every industry, but it has notable impacts on rural land and buildings the government's already behind on some of those targets so you know we're saying how we're going to reach all these targets and net zero sounds very easy doesn't it which actually it really isn't but I think farmers landowners um, are in a key position to be able to contribute to the ambitions under that One of the things that was covered in the net zero strategy was energy. Uh, We at the CLA are trying to make sure that there's rural proofing on energy policy because, you know, they're saying that they want to phase out oil heating and the Committee for Climate Change wants to phase out oil heating by 2026. But most rural homes aren't near a gas grid. So how on earth are we going to meet that target in just a few years' time? Tree planting, additional funds to support tree planting have been announced, as well as peatland restoration. But the government is so far behind their existing targets already. They aim to plant 30,000 hectares of new trees by 2024 each year. Um, That means doubling what they're already doing. In the east of England, we're already competing for land. And so at the CLA, we support tree planting in the right place. Obviously, we also need to produce food, but farmers need long term certainty if they go into plant trees. In electrical vehicles, you know, the grid network just is not up to scratch at the moment. How are we going to put in the infrastructure for rural areas to be able to put in electrical vehicle um, charging points. There's a, there's a huge opportunity there, but there's 550,000 rural businesses in England alone. So we've got to make sure that the rural economy isn't ignored because 
often there's a there's a focus on urban areas, but um, we need to rural proof a lot of these points that will be coming out of COP26, but also other strategies. And you're working with the government on those things to keep farmers informed of where and how that it will help and benefit them and the changes that will come that Absolutely. actually will be beneficial for them. Yeah, so we're constantly talking to DEFRA, Bays, all of the different government departments, Treasury, to make sure that the rural agenda is not forgotten. You know, with the the focus on moving away from oil heating, there was a boiler upgrade scheme announced last week, which is a good step in the right direction to increase heat pumps in homes. But heat pumps don't always work. We've been pushing for a change in the methodology on EPCs as well, because at the moment, it's very much focused on more urban homes. Rural homes are very difficult to decarbonise. And a lot of them will never be able to be insulated as well as what the the government wants. But it's trying to ensure that the policies are there for rural areas. In terms of working with government, um, we've been working with DEFRA on co-design of the environmental land management scheme to make sure that it works for farmers. SFI pilot is taking place now and we're trying to feed in as much as possible to make sure that the farmers and landowners, their voice is heard with designing all of these different policies. And you can find out more about the policies and the work they're doing on their website, cla.org.uk. We asked Defra if they wish to comment and they are yet to respond. Now, Sean Sparling can't be with us today, so Andrew Ward joins us to give an overview on the harvest yields from his farm at Leadenham. Morning, Andrew. Yeah, morning, Ali. I think two words sum our harvest up this year, and they are variable, but more importantly, disappointing. If we start off with our winter wheats, we had two varieties. They were skyscraper and shabras, both feed wheats. And the skyscraper came out at an average of 9.5 tonnes per hectare. And the shabras turned in at 9.4 tonnes per hectare, which hidden in those figures is some hugely variable figures. The highest yield we had was 10.7 tonnes a hectare, and that was skyscraper. And the lowest we had was also skyscraper at 7.9. Now, that is an extremely disappointing figure because it comes off some new land we've taken on this last year, which has been in long-term grass. And I would have thought that that figure would have been a lot higher. So at 7.9 tonnes a hectare, that is extremely disappointing. But I think it also highlights the top yield we had at 10.7 was really disappointing as well, because we usually have some figures in the 12 tonnes a hectare mark, but we didn't get anywhere near that at all. And so for our average yield to come in at 9.5 tonnes a hectare, is about 1.5 tonnes per hectare lower than we'd normally be. So all in all, our winter wheats have been disappointing. But worth factoring into this is the drilling date. And some listeners will remember or will know that we don't plant any winter wheat until after probably October the 20th due to blackgrass. And yes, it is a risk, but um, we do manage to get sort of half decent crops. But this year, I think it was the spring weather that um, 
didn't do the crops any favours. They, they went in the ground last autumn quite well and, and looked well through the winter, but they didn't, that didn't translate into, into yields this last harvest. So um, all in all, the winter wheats have been disappointing. We will also have a lot of spring crops and we continue to do that. And last year was no exception. So starting with probably the crop that was the star of the harvest, which was our spring oats. Now, we grow what they call a naked variety. So that means it doesn't have a husk on the outside and it goes to the pet food market mainly. And we had a variety called Oliver and that came in at 5.8 tonnes per hectare as an average. Now, that was exceedingly pleasing because some of the yields were over six tonnes a hectare, which for that type of spring oat is really, really good. The next crop that was disappointing was spring barley. We had a variety called Laureate, which goes for malting. So that'll end up at the Coors uh, Breweries or the Burton-on-Trent Brewery. And that will turn into Grolsch Lager or Carling Lager. And that averaged out at 6.75 tonnes per hectare, which that again is probably two tonnes per hectare lower than where we would normally be. The next spring crop we had was spring beans. Now, we haven't grown spring beans for probably 15 years here, but because we haven't grown uh, or we're having a holiday from oilseed rape, we are growing spring beans for the first time. And we had vertigo, and they were grown for seed, for agri, and they came in at 4.2 tonnes per hectare, which, again, I would like to see that at least another tonne or tonne and a half hectare higher. And so that is a, a disappointing yield as well. And the last spring crop that we have had is spring wheat. Now, we had a variety called Kilburn, which is a feed variety on most of our area. And they came in at 6.8 tonnes per hectare. And that, again, is probably two tonne a hectare down to where we'd normally be. And the last crop or the last variety was a variety of spring wheat called Belepi, which is a cross between a winter and a spring wheat. It can be drilled in either situation, but this was planted on the heath on our light ground after sugar beet, and it went in the ground at the end of February, so nice and early, and that came in at 7.5 tonnes per hectare. So that wasn't too bad. But generally, I think the spring crops have really suffered because of the poor weather we had in April. We had 23 nights of frost in April with virtually no moisture. So all the crops really shut down and didn't grow. And to take a month out of a crop's growing season is not good news. Thanks, Andrew. Coming up, we find out how Agritech can help farmers in reducing greenhouse gas emissions. Jerome will be here with the Grain Report and I'll have the five-day forecast. In agriculture. This is the Farming Programme. I'm Ellie Codling with the Farming Programme today. Now, do you use Agritech on your farm? There's so much great tech available to help with most elements of farming. However, AgriEpicenter have found from a recent survey that they've done that some farmers are doubtful how Agritech can help meet net zero targets. I spoke to Dave Ross from AgriEpicenter about how Agritech can help farmers in reducing greenhouse gas emissions. Agritech is a kind of catch-all descriptor for any form of technology on farms which informs um, management interventions that benefits the productivity or the efficiency of the farm. Now productivity and efficiency of farming actually has a win-win benefit with emissions reduction, greenhouse gas emissions reduction. If you can 
create more with the same resource by more efficiently managing that resource using agri-technology, you, by definition, can reduce the emissions on the output based on the resources that you've had. What support is there available to help farmers build their confidence with using agri-tech? So from your report, it seems that that is possibly something that's holding them back. Yeah, uh, training and skills is a really important part of it. A lot of the technologies have been developed in the last, say, 10, 20 years or so. Um, we had yield mapping technologies in the in the late 80s, 90s, and since then there have been an explosion of agri-technology devices and information that's been available to the farmer. And alongside that has been a requirement, effectively a skills requirement for farmers to, to, to understand these technologies and how they can best inform their management decisions. And understandably has been a gap. And again, the age profile of farming mitigates against that, you know, that take up of um, new technology. So it is it is a gap and there it is recognised it's been a gap. And I think there will be a number of different initiatives coming forward in the future, partly through DEFRA. And there will be also a, a new initiative, launch, I think, launching next year called Training and skills organisation called the Institute of Agriculture and Horticulture, which will have a remit, I think, to look at the skills agenda for farmers uh, going forward in the future. So from your report, then, it says that Agritech can help with the net zero and reducing greenhouse gas emissions. What in particular tech out there would you advise farmers start looking into? There are a range of different things, depending on the type of um, production you have, whether you're livestock or you're arable. For arable farmers, one of the key areas, obviously, with the recent increase in fertilizer prices, obviously, fertilizers becoming more important as an input cost. And precision application of fertilizer is one. For arable farmers, also, the self-steer on tractors, for example, is is a huge benefit for optimizing the field operations on fields. For the livestock farmer, the benefits of technology can actually have a direct relationship with greenhouse gas emissions because you can optimise outputs. So I can cite an example uh, in the beef sector. Getting it right in terms of the finished animal is really important. And when you are overfinishing, and a significant fraction of the industry is what's called overfinishing, that that overfinishing relates to an increase in greenhouse gas emissions because you're put your the maintenance energy for the animal, the methane outputs, for example, for ruminants, etc., all contribute to greenhouse gas emissions every day that animal is alive. So obviously, if you're overfinishing, the animal has gone past its optimum point. And by reducing that through technology and understanding exactly where the optimal point is, you can then reduce the greenhouse gas emissions for your whole farm in terms of your CO2 emissions per kilogram of product sold off the farm. From this report then, is it available online for the farmers to view? Absolutely. If you go to www.agriepicenter.com, the summarised results are there and we are currently digesting all the detail underpinning that at present and we may output some of these results in the near future. Thank you, Dave Ross, Chief Executive of Agri Epicentre. Over to Jerome Fielder of Open Fields now for the Grain Report. Morning, Ellie. Wheat markets seem to be maintaining their upward trajectory with the odd blip here and there, but feed wheat is still trading in excess of £210 ex-farm for December movement. 
Current drivers of the wheat market include the strong global demand for milling wheat to the Middle East to countries such as Turkey, Syria, Egypt and Saudi Arabia, whom are all looking to purchase for November-December movement. However, exporters such as the EU are 50% ahead of last year and the Ukraine are 17% ahead, with Russia also wanting to shift wheat quickly before rising export taxes are imposed. Keep an eye out, of course, for the Aussie harvest, although logistics will make it hard for them to compete with the European market. Rising fertiliser and energy prices are also supporting the market, leading to talk of reduced maize acres in South America next year. Domestically, we are not yet at import parity either, with a tight balance sheet in the UK, so there could be potential upward movement. Looking at barley markets, feed and malting barley demand remains strong, with feed barley hitting £200 a tonne in the new year. Logistics continues to be a challenge, and extensions are being made to accept high moistures at certain homes for a limited time past the end of October. The UK malting barley market is following the export markets higher, with European interest still in place for now. Some domestic feed barley buyers, however, are considering switching out of barley due to the small discount to wheat. Looking at the bean market, markets here seem to be pausing to catch a breather, with exporters having taken some cover on their nearby demand. Domestic consumers are buying top-ups when needed and trying to price in discounts basis moisture levels being offered. There are still good volumes being offered in the nearby positions, so the expectation is that dry beans will see the focus of attention. There is ongoing talk of the 2022 cropping plans, given prices of inputs and what it could mean for planted areas going forward. Most thinking the bean area could be up. Now for your ex-farm values. Feed wheat is trading at £213 to £216 for December movement, with May movement trading at £218 to £221. 22 crop for November is trading at £185 to £188. Premiums on milling wheat this year are looking at circa £40. Feed barley is trading at £197 to £201 for December movement, and for May it's trading at £202 to £206. Bean values are 235 to 240 pounds for December, and all seed rate values are circa 560 pounds a ton X farm. Thanks, Jerome. After this very mild week, it's November tomorrow, so let's have a look at how the weather will fare for the first week of the month. The farming program five day forecast. Today is going to be a wet day with heavy rain at times with a moderate breeze, top temperature 11 degrees Celsius. The rain should ease by the evening and overnight lows of 7 degrees Celsius. Tomorrow will be a cloudy day with a 20% chance of rain, moderate wind from the west, top temperature of 11 degrees Celsius and dry overnight with a low of 4 degrees Celsius. Tuesday looks to be a cloudy day with a light breeze from south to southwest. Top temperature of 10 degrees Celsius and a chance of some rain early evening and overnight with a low of 5 degrees Celsius. On Wednesday we may see the odd break in the cloud and a little bit of sunshine. There will be a moderate breeze and top temperature for the day around 10 degrees Celsius. Overnight should remain dry with a low of 3 degrees Celsius. Thursday looks to be a similar day to Wednesday but a bit breezier. Chance of a sunnier spells in the morning and then clouding over by the afternoon. Top temperature of 9 degrees Celsius and overnight lows of 5 degrees Celsius. And cloudy again on Friday, but hopefully it should remain dry with temperatures reaching around 10 degrees. 
That's it from me for today. It's the last day of National Young Farmers Week, so we'll be finding out how the Lincolnshire Young Farmers have been celebrating and what they've got planned for the coming months on the show next week. Don't forget you can always listen to the show again through the Lynx FM app or just ask your smart speaker to play the farming programme. Till then, have a good week. Oh, 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 o